This is the Truth Warrior Podcast with your host, David Whitehead. Hey, there we are. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Way of the Truth Warrior. I'm your host, David Whitehead, and today it is March 24th, 2023. And today I've got an interesting show for you as I was thinking about what I should cover and what I should do. I've been covering news all day on my social media channels. I thought, well, let's zoom out from the news, the happenings. Those are very important to track, but it also helps to go to many of the great books written by many who've tried to warn us about all the things that are going on and see if we can't find some valuable wisdom, some insight, some tips, some pro tips about how to survive tyranny and evil. And so that's what we're going to get into. And I kind of did this randomly. Uh, it's something that's happened to me my whole life, really, once I started paying attention and noticing that there's this thing called synchronicity. You know, Carl Jung coined the term. Others have a different term for it. I think we're all talking about the same thing. Where coincidentally, I don't really believe in coincidences, but there you have it. Coincidentally, random experiences happen to you. You meet people that just come out of the woodwork that you end up going, oh my God, I feel like I've always known you and you've added so much value to my life already. Or you've, um, you know, you've, sorry, I'm distracted here with, oh no, we're on live. Okay, good. Just making sure I didn't screw up Rumble. Hello, Rumble. How you guys doing? Hello, Foxhole, Twitch, DLive, Rockfin, Pilled. Did I miss anybody? Welcome all. Uh, just breaking down the intro here about synchronicity and how this whole show came to be. And uh, I've talked to you guys about this before. You can let me know if you've experienced this. Where you've walked into a library and you don't know why you were attracted to pick up a book and then you take it home and you read it and it utterly changes your life. Or, you know, name your coincidence. You meet somebody that you thought, okay, I'll just meet this person and they turn out to be your lifelong soulmate, you know, or whatever, just random things. And so there's this power that we have. And I just want to play with that today. Um, I do this, I'm kind of giving you an insight into how some of my research works where I've read so many books. I'm sure like all you guys have, you've seen it all, you've done it all. And, but you can't just read books one time. You can't just glance at the intro and the back of the cover and think you've nailed it, right? Like you have to constantly revisit these works, especially as time is happening and history is being rewritten right now and all these events are going on. We got to go back to the drawing board and go, wait a minute, I missed that bit when I first read Brave New World or some of the books we're going to get into, or I missed that little tidbit from Solzhenitsyn when he was talking about all the basic warnings that are playing out right before our eyes, you know? And so it's nothing like the present. There's no time like the present than to go back into the past and, uh, and try to dig up what we may have missed because there's some valuable insight Valuable insight uh, that we can glean. Sorry, someone's distracting me with their text here. Stop texting me. I'm on the air. You're distracting me. <laughs> Anyways, I hope we're all good. How's everybody doing? I'm still trying to draw people to this new Friday slot. It's not as big as my Mondays used to be. So hopefully you guys come out and hang out on Fridays. If not, don't worry. The archive will be there for you when you are ready. That's how this is designed. So the books we're going to be taking a look at randomly. 
I picked out a few quotes, but I also I want to do some organic, just sort of page turning here with you. Um, is Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Right? Of course. We got Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And you're asking, whoa, what is the search for meaning? How did philosophy get into this? We're going to find out. Let's see. We got one of my all-time faves, Crucial Information, Nathaniel Brennan's Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. I've done a lot on this, but I don't know if people have actually read the book and understood that it's about so much more than you think it is, right? And then this one, which is a little messed up from, I used to use this in some of the old fire casts I did a couple of years ago. I left it outside once by accident. I can't believe it. And uh, it got a little muddied, but it gives it character, right? It gives it some character. I think the cover's fallen off. These are the kind of books I love. The books that you're basically trying to hold together with your fingernails when you're reading it. Uh, so yeah, there's that. A Warning to the West by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. What happens, guys, when we're going to take these works and remix them like a, like a good Tiesto track? I don't know if Tiesto's any good. I just, you know, think of a DJ that you like. We're going to be the DJ today. Um, okay. Let me just fix this one thing and then we're going to dive in. What do you think in the chat? Which one should we start with? Should we start with Frankel, Solzhenitsyn? What do you want to learn? What do you want to see the insight on here? Should we get some uh, predictions from literally chapter one of Brave New World, page one? Like, is, should we start there? Should we dive into the many warnings from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, as well as some of his deep and penetrating philosophical insight into the reasons why tyranny and evil exist? That's a good one. Should we get into some personal development and try to understand why people insist upon trusting known liars, criminals, tyrants, dictators, cult leaders who want collectivism, who want freedom from responsibility, who want, would you want to know why? Do you want to know why tyranny exists? Do you want to know what happens in the absence of the good? Then we get into six pillars of self-esteem or man's search for meaning. I think it's all relative. And just so you know, when I was looking at my library today, I'm literally sitting there going, what am I going to cover? I don't want to just do another boring news show, right? Those are fun, but, and I'll sum up the day, the news in a minute. Okay. If you guys like that stuff, I'm looking at all my books. I'm like, what are we going to, what rabbit hole are we going to go down? And my first thought was let's go down some crazy, like let's pull all the secret society stuff. Let's go into like underground bases or like unexplained mysteries. I know that's fun. You guys like that stuff. I love it too. But then I went, okay, let's, we can do a lot on that. And I will, I promise. But none of it means anything. None of it is what it could be without some of this stuff, some of the foundational things that we need to look at. And plus we've got this looming global dystopia afoot that we need to deal with. And so it's no good just constantly pointing at the problem and looking, oh, we, we know who's doing it. We know why they're doing it. We know who they are. They're psychopaths. They're power-hungry maniacs. They don't care about us. They're operating on behalf of some of the most ancient elite cults ever known. All right, now what do we do? <laughs> like You have to find the other side of the coin, which is, what are you going to do during this time? How are you going to sharpen your inner blade? So that you can see the see the truth, identify the lies, know who the liars are, find the solutions, which I believe are rooted within each and every one of us, and have been already 
given to the world by many of the brilliant minds that have already came to this planet and told you what we should be doing or tried to warn you about what happens if we don't move in the right direction. And so there's nothing new under the sun. And I'm really excited to just kind of take this very, a lot of people wouldn't mix these four books together. They'd be like, these are all separate subjects, Dave. Those should be separate categories. If you go to a library, they're all in different sections of the library. How dare you remix them all together? Betcha these guys wouldn't even agree if they sat in the same room. That's why it's a different podcast. That's why you tolerate me. That's why you keep coming back because I do weird shit like this. All right. So this is what we're going to do. All right. Um, let's just go. Hold on. Where's all the comments? Why can I not see them? This is a disaster. I must be able to see them. We literally have no comments. No comments. Oh, we have Cindy Lloyd saying hello. Hello, Cindy. Thank you for that. Let's see if, uh, let's see if the foxhole is awake. What's going on in the foxhole? Are you guys awake? always get great comments over here and I neglect you so much. I'm so sorry. Oh, Rise is here. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of Rise, thank you for that, Rise. What did you get? You gave me the can? All right. Look what I'm sporting right now, guys. Look how, this is the sponsor for Cult of the Medics. And check out how slick this looks. This almost feels like a rash guard. It's so sick. It's very smooth and it's like, you know, worldwide wake up expose the cult of the medics check this beauty out look at that boom best conversation starter there is go to cultofthemedics.com it's right there on the front page you can also go to my website dwtruthware.com this is the new fear not line and i just got this is the long sleeve shirt um i accidentally messed up and ordered the hoodie but it was too small so um i'm gonna get the bigger one i'll put that on for you guys next time but thanks to Rise Attire. You guys are brilliant. Go support them. Go check it out. Really good stuff. And they actually have other lines, just so you know. If you don't want to just go with the Cult of the Medic stuff, although you should, uh, they got some really hilarious gear over there. You can go to their website, Rise Attire USA. He's going to laugh at me in the comments. Hold on, Rise. I'm going to get your actual website, Rise Attire USA. Let's see if that works. Yeah, riseattireusa.com. Sorry, guys, I should have that memorized. Riseattireusa.com. Go check it out, okay? All right. Redeemed Patriot says, Bohemian Grove. That's pretty, well, yeah, Bohemian Grove's got to fit in here somewhere. Into a Bohemian Grove is also good. There you go. Okay. Well, I'm just going to start then. I'm just going to pick randomly. Let's Because I put Brave New World on the cover, let's start with Brave New World. Okay, so sit back and sip your tea or your hot toddy and uh, join me for Truth Warrior Story Hour by a roaring fire as we dive into one of Western civilization's classics, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, who was a known Fabian socialist insider who probably had access to the script. And he was one of the mentors to Eric Blair, who later became known as George Orwell and wrote the book 1984. And it just so happens that both of these books are coming to life in our current time. So we're going to go to Aldous Huxley's Brave New World because I honestly think there are many elements of 1984 that we could do 100%. Okay. I love that meme where it's Orwell. He's like, guys, I totally wrote a book about this. You know, you should pay attention. Um, 
but Brave New World, even it's a fictional story, of course, as is 1984, but we know it's not fiction. We know they're writing information in these books that are sort of a, they're encapsulating the time that these gentlemen lived in and what they witnessed. They witnessed different rise and falls of tyranny in their time. There's a debate as to whether they're good guys or bad guys. I'll leave that for another time. It kind of doesn't matter because at this stage, this information is coming out from everywhere. The information that is coming out to continue to spur on this awakening process and the expansion, or at least provide the opportunity. Doesn't mean it's all just done like in some kind of fate way. It's we're in a, a time of momentum and opportunity where we can all upgrade our conscious awareness as human beings, learning about ourselves, who we are, why we're here, our history, the truth about the world, why it's so infected with parasites and evil and what we can do to fix it. That's what we call the awakening. You're awakening to all of those things. And there's sort of like an individual awakening process that someone like, you know, Krishnamurti or Alan Watts or all this, you know, different people throughout history have referenced. And then there's the greater social, political, zeitgeist awakening process. And during this process, I believe that we're, we don't always get hyper-focused on the sources. When you see the information coming out and it's being validated and it's being proven to be correct, um, take it as a bigger synchronistic moment where truth is coming out from everywhere right now, even from some very unsuspecting places from places we didn't think of, from, from people we didn't expect to be dropping major truth bombs to the world, whether they mean it or not. It's almost like there's something else guiding this process. That's how I see it. And I think that when we do this kind of remixing work here, we can uh, make some magic happen in terms of having some epiphanies that will help expand our consciousness. So there's my introduction to Brave New World. Let's just start with chapter one. I'll just read a little bit and then I guarantee you stuff's going to pop out at me. If it pops out at you, hit me up in the chats. I'm currently watching the Foxhole chat. I can see DLive and Twitch chat. I should, actually, I could get Rockfin up too. Let's get Rockfin involved. Hold on. Not overload my signal here, but we should be good. I should be able to see the live chat, yeah? Yeah, there we go. Here we go. How's it going there, Rockfin? Oh, somebody gave me a tip already. Davina, you are a sweetie. Yeah, it's playing my preview. Okay, we're good. Brave New World, Chapter 1. A squat gray building of only 34 stories. Over the main entrance, the words Central London Hatchery and Conditioning Center. And in a shield, the world's state motto... <laughs> We're already here, guys. We're already here. Emblazoned onto a shield. Anybody that's seen Cult of the Medics, you know what I'm talking about, shield symbolism. Emblazoned on the shield is the world state's motto, the world government's model. This is the first sentence of this book. And what's the motto? Community, identity, and stability. <laughs> okay. This is going to be a good show because I can't even get through a freaking sentence without my brain switching on. So <laughs> the central London hatchery is kind of this vibe in Brave New World where humans are like farm animals, 
you know, it's really interesting. And they are, there's like the hatchery, like everything is regimented to the infinitesimal degree by this world state, which is the world government. And even that world state, I love that he calls it a world state. See, let's see if you can see it. World state. Where's my finger? World state. I want to make sure you guys don't think I'm lying to you. What is the slogan of the World Economic Forum? Anybody? Anybody? Going once. What is the slogan of the World Economic Forum? What do they have written below the World Economic Forum logo when they got Macron? And by the way, Macron, what's going on in France? Are they burning that shit down already or what? I think, what was it, 9 million French people in the streets? Viva la resistance! Um, you got Macron, you got Trudeau. How's it going, Trudeau? Must be a little bit of a rough time right now, hey? Working for the world state isn't all it was cracked up to be, is it? Because now the pressure's coming. Now the justice is coming. You know why? What's happening right now? Another scandal being exposed to all the normies to see. Yet another one. What is that? Like every week there's a new one. You're out next. You're going to be following Jacinda out the door. Macron also. That's my prediction. Sorry, I'm segueing. Um, I told you it's going to be a new show as well. Did you get it? Did anybody get it in the chat? Let me see. Did anybody get it? What is this? What I'm going to wait. I'm going to, I'm not going to do this. You guys, we got to do this together. What is the slogan of the world economic forum? You need to know this. Make pedophilia great again. <laughs> oh my God. Who said this derived? Well done. Okay. You win. You win. You got me. That's it. That's the slogan. <laughs> okay. What's the slogan? That's what's written behind, probably backwards. It's probably what's written backwards on, on the metal that they use to put the logo right on the, on the thing. Um, okay, what do they tell the world the slogan is? What is it? Anybody? I'm checking Foxhole. Come on, guys. World Economic Forum slogan. What is it? Eat the bugs. <laughs> This is better than the real one. Just what, what should it be? Let's keep, let's play that game for a minute. What should it be? Eat the bugs, make pedophilia great again. What's another one? What's another one of the new world order, world state, whatever world economic forum. MPGA doesn't quite have the same ring to it. No, it really doesn't, but it, it, it does encapsulate the reality of the situation. Doesn't it? Own nothing and be happy. Yes. Club 2000. Own nothing and be happy. One of the slogans, right? So what I'm talking about here, guys, just so you know, and I was worried that I've said it too many times that I was going to, so I'm glad that we need to do it again because um, there's the different branding slogans. So own nothing and be happy would be a branding slogan. Um, it's the bugs. That's a branding slogan. Make pedophilia great. That's a, that's a branding slogan. You own nothing, be happy. The real slogan, the slogan that is officially there, and you'll see me in Cult of the Medics. I think there's, in the series, I've zoomed in on this shot maybe five or six times because I want to keep showing it to you because I'm trying to, show, I'm, I'm trying to show you guys that there's more than enough validation for the theory that these people tell us what they're doing through subliminal programming. They tell us right out in the open, okay? Because 
when we're talking, I know it feels like what Dave, what does this have to do with Brave New World? Hold on. It does have a lot to do with it because he's telling us here in the first sentence over the main entrance of this building, which is the central London hatchery is the world state's motto, the world government's motto, which is community identity and stability. It doesn't sound that far off from what you're hearing from the media right now. The world economics actual slogan is improving the state of the world. Ah, now there's a way we could play with this. Improving the state of the world, did you say? What are you talking about when you say this? Are we improving the state of the world? Like when, when you first hear it, when the average normie brain out there first hears it, they're hearing, oh, improve the environment, improve equality, improve the economy, improve our happiness. Oh, <laughs> that one, that word happiness is going to come up a lot in today's show. I'll show you what a scam it is, okay? I know you, that might trigger some people. Bear with me on that. Bear with me on that. I got something even better than happiness for you today, okay? Even better than happiness. They want to sell you happiness, but that's the deadly cyanide pill, my friends, from the real thing. Improving the state of the world. Think about that from the perspective of cultists that believe in etymological symbolism, right? And so they're telling you, we are here to improve the world state. Because what it's, that's where you got to separate the slogans from what the actual thing is. What is the World Economic Forum? It's not the world government itself. It's just like a PR firm that operates for the people who are trying to create the world state. Okay, that's who they are. They're just the, and they're not even there for the public. They're not like a public, like for us. They're, they're not for us. They are the sales pitch. PR firm that is in charge of recruiting other elites and politicians and people in different positions of influence. It's the old Cecil Rhodes roundtable model, right? Okay. Table that, improving the state of the world, improving the state of the world. We're going to improve the world government. We're going to create the world government. That's our job. Our job is to help improve the world state. Just reverse the words and you've got it. All they care about is themselves. That's correct. Selfish bastards. But I digress too much. Let me get through this. The enormous room on the ground floor faced towards the north, cold for all the summer beyond the panes, for all the tropical heat of the room itself, a harsh, thin light glared through the windows, hungrily seeking some draped lay figure, some pallid shape of academic goose flesh, but only finding the glass and nickel of bleakly shining porcelain of a laboratory. Winterness responded to winterness. The overalls of the workers were white, their hands gloved with a pale corpse-colored rubber. It's like when you walk to the hospital. Their hands gloved with a Oh, it did that. The light was frozen, dead, a ghost. Only from the yellow barrels of the microscopes did it bor borrow a certain rich and living substance lying along the polished tubes like butter, streak after luscious streak in long recession down the work tables. And this, said the director, opening the door, is the fertilizing room. So it goes on to explain these guys are in a, it's called the hatchery, like hatching chicks, okay? 
<clears throat> it's where they genetically alter human beings. Um, and it's also where they decide it's eugenics. So it's also where they decide who lives and who doesn't. Um, and it's basically like the inside of a hospital and it's cold. Light. It's that cold light of the artificial light. Okay. The artificial light. Uh, what else did he say here? And the director of this whole operation opens up the door and basically introduces, oh, this is the fertilizing room because they grow human beings because there's no intimacy anymore. There's no, there's no ability. There's nothing but sterility, right? So you got to grow them in hatcheries. I'm only on the first bit here and I'm not going to go through the whole chapter, but just, we've already just opened up. And when you read the book, you'll see how startling the world that Huxley paints in this book, it is how startling it is that it's, it's so real today. A lot of this stuff wasn't as real back then. It was, it looked like fiction to the people. When did this come out? Fifties, forties. Um, the people that time, they had just experienced obviously world war two and everything that came with that. But this was like his dystopic future. That was what this was. And I'm, I'm just seeing so many similarities. And then I do have, um, we'll get through some more from, uh, from this book here. And I, I got this on my computer cause it's so much easier because it is fiction. It's hard for me to dial in on some of the actual statements, but I've got them all recorded here. These are all really powerful. Okay. So here's a couple that I wanted to, uh, say number one, this one quote that is said, I can't remember which character says it, but they say one believes things because one has been conditioned to believe them. Like <laughs> geniuses have this ability to just say one sentence and you're like, Oh my God, like that's the, that's the whole concept in one sentence. What I've said this many times when I read this kind of stuff years ago, I just realized, Oh wow, that's true. It made me ask myself, right? Like what a good writer can do is get you to ask yourself those questions. Like, yeah, wh why do I believe what I believe? Everything I know is information that I've gathered ever since I was born. And now I'm here and I asked questions to my parents. I asked questions to my school teachers. I asked questions of my Sunday school teachers. I then grew up, became a little bit bigger. I got a lot of influences and cues from the, from the social groups I was in, my friends I played with. I'd go over to their house for a sleepover. I'd be eavesdropping on conversations their parents were having. And as a kid, I'm just, I'm like a sponge, just soaking in all this information from everywhere. And I'm oriented as an, as a living being to try to gain information as quickly as possible about my environment for purposes of survival, right? So a natural function occurs with a child where they're just born into this world. They have no idea it's even a world. They have no idea where they are. They have no idea about the cult of the medics. They don't know what's happening. They're just getting information. Oh, that's, that's a building. This is the color green. That's this, that's that, right? And bear with me because I know some of you guys are like, wait a minute, isn't this what some of the arguments of the, the neo-Marxist is? No, no, but they go way off the rails, okay? This is just a basic observation that everybody can make that the vast majority of your inputs, of the information, of your beliefs, and I have another kind of hard statement to make about beliefs in a minute, but it's basically, it's, it's introduced to us, and then just like he's saying, one ends up believing things because one has been conditioned to believe them. Now, I want to say something. That doesn't mean all the... 
social cues and all these pieces of information you're getting are wrong. It doesn't mean that. I'm not saying that at all. Many things you probably got are really good. But I'm trying to get, this is really key because we are trying to understand how the mind works in the people that are still going along with the status quo and still supporting this global dictatorship that's being built all around them, right? We're trying to understand, like, why are you so excited about all this? Like, how do you not see it? They can't see it because of conditioning. And it's not just the conditioning from parents, school, media, all that kind of stuff. It's conditioning from an actual program, which we will rely on this gentleman to fill us in on in a bit, of actually trying to capture that process that is otherwise natural. That's how parasites work. And the people we're working with are parasites. They are the parasites of the body that is this planet, okay? In a metaphor, it's a good metaphor because they operate like that. They are parasitical. What is a parasite? A parasite is not something that can create anything by itself. It cannot provide sustenance to itself without leeching onto a host. That's what it is. Think of a tapeworm. That's what they do. The tapeworm, I've probably said this a bunch of times, but let me just do it again. The tapeworm gets into your gut, into your body, and it starts to convince the body that it is the body. That's how it works. It captures the natural system that would otherwise be functioning normally, right? But when you have a tapeworm or you have a parasite and you're losing energy and you're starting to look like Celine Dion and you know, you're just looking like you want to die any second, that's because something is sucking your life force out of you, literally. Okay. And you're like, well, how could that be? I'm, I'm talking about this person just metaphorically that awakens to the fact that they've had a tapeworm eating their insides this whole time. And they're like, I've been eating food with nutrition and taking vitamins and collagen and all these good things, but none of it's actually going to my body. I'm just eliminating it. It's like, yeah, because something's feeding off of you and has convinced your body through a bunch of complex processes that it is the body. So the body feeds it like it's the body. That's who we're dealing with on this big picture. And that's why this statement, one believes things because one has been conditioned to believe them. They, you, these people, all of us, we've been conditioned to believe these things in the same way that the tapeworm conditions the body to believe that it's the body. And then what happens? The body, doing what it naturally does, doing what it's programmed to do, directs the energy flow to the parasite instead of the host. That's the world conspiracy. That's how it works. That's how criminals work. That's how cult leaders work. That's how sociopathic manipulators in your own personal life work. That's how psychic vampires work. That's how Justin Trudeau works. That's how Macron works. That's how all these people work. They are leeches. They are energy parasites. And so they've concocted a system where they are the sitting on the throne which should be occupied by moral, virtuous, strong leaders. They've created a system to get rid of all of those moral leaders by hook or by crook, doesn't matter. And then they elevate themselves, promote themselves in their own networks. And then they create the entire system to be vampiric in nature rather than something that supports the host of the earth, which is humanity. 
instead it siphons the energy of humanity and then it just regurgitates and we're on this vicious cycle. And lo and behold, here we are waking up to this fact right now. And that's why books like this, where they're kind of giving you a fictional rendition, uh, and you'll notice this through different conversations between these characters, you're getting a fictional rendition of actual reality because the playbook is known and it's been known for a long time. But that's how this stuff operates. Okay. The other thing I have to say about belief, and I'm going to check my note here because I actually wrote it because sometimes... Uh, writing it is just makes it more clear. I, I wrote it like this. Most personal beliefs and opinions, or I should say many, you know, the unchecked ones, just think the last three years we just went through, most personal beliefs and opinions are actually anxiety-easing preferences and not necessarily an accurate representation of reality. So what does that do when you put that statement alongside what Huxley's saying? That one believes things because he's been conditioned to believe them. Now you got it. Now you know what. Now you know why that glazed look is happening over your friend's eyes when you're trying to tell them some very important information about what's going on. Why the farmers in the Netherlands are up in arms. Why everybody's revolting in France right now. Why everybody's revolting in Brazil right now. Why the Canadian truckers happened. Why the American Patriot Movement happened. Why there's a big movement all over the world to push back against this corrupt system. People are like, why? I don't get it. It's because you've been conditioned to believe things that aren't true and you're not seeing the big picture. But that's how deception works. Okay. So I thought that was a good one. Uh, there's another good one here. I want to say. Oh, no social stability without individual stability. <laughs> I'm just reading that now. I'm like, oh my God, think about this. Think of the argument you're having with people. Think of the argument the media narrative is putting out in our faces all the time. Equality, 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 equality. Meanwhile, men are moving into women's sports and kicking women out. That sucks. Men are moving into women's beauty pageants and kicking them out and taking over. That's not good. Yet, before this movement started to become the latest thing, we just had this fourth wave feminist movement that was all trying to be like, women have to be equal, and rights for women and all this stuff. And then now what happened? So do you see how the system will use a group, plunder and weaponize its insecurities and its issues, blow them up into a big cartoon animal, and then play a political game to the point where you end up thinking, Oh, the media and Nike and Lady Gaga and George Soros and all these people, Hillary Clinton, they all love our movement. They are there to help us achieve the equality that we're talking about or achieve the rights or whatever the issues are, right? But you're cannon fodder to these people. That's another thing we're going to learn about this from this gentleman. They don't care about you. They use you. Black people in America being used by the very people that they know exist and they're trying to fight against, not knowing that the, they're signing up for ideas and organizations that eventually are going to turn on them too and are actually trying to destroy them. Who are the real racists in our society, guys? Who are the real ones? It's not us common folk. I was raised like so many others to just content of character, content of character. That's how I was raised. That's the values that I genuinely hold to be true. I don't care what race, gender, color, any of that stuff that you are. 
I don't care what shape you think the earth is. I don't care if you like the stuff I'm into or not. Content of character. If you're fighting for truth, freedom, and justice, if you believe in individual freedom, if you understand that, and you understand how to respect people's boundaries, and you actually have integrity, and you have character, and you're not fake, then you're, you're a brother or sister of mine. I don't qualify people based on superficial things. But what does weaponized propaganda do that creates those belief systems that then create the division that allow for this tiny elite group of psychopaths to stay on the thrones of power? Division. They want division of every kind. They don't care what kind it is. And they're not on your side, even if they're financing all the marathons and the ice bucket challenges and the pink hats and the yellow shirt days and the this and that. doesn't matter. They don't care about you. It's all to them. It's all just public relations, guiding the sheep back into a different pen. That's how they see it. That's what you're going to see when you go through this book like Brave New World and just get the mindset of totalitarianism, how it works. Okay? So when they're saying no social stability without individual stability, well, if we're talking minorities and who's, got the, who's winning the victim Olympics right now and who should get the most reparations and who should get the most... I don't know what everybody wants, attention, validation, whatever. We're going to get into that later with this, which would fix all of that confusion and nonsense. Ayn Rand said it beautifully. Those who pretend to fight for the rights of minorities never fight for the real minority, which is the individual. Ain't that interesting. The biggest minority on the planet is the individual. It's you and me against the many. If the many get together under the spell of propaganda and start to target you as an enemy, meaning that they are now looking at you as the parasite when all you were doing was just trying to be left alone and you didn't hurt anybody and you're not hating it, you're just being yourself, then there is no such thing as an individual anymore because you're under mob rule and it's what's called the tyranny of the masses and the masses can be easily galvanized and weaponized against the individual. We've seen it time and time again which is why these particular works are important because all of them are champions of the individual because they understand this. There is no social stability. The social stability and the security that they promised you with, let's put all the security in the airport to stop all the terrorists, right? Did they stop any, how many terrorist plots have they stopped? Meanwhile, the real terrorists are taking over your banking system and they're installing a global digital currency surveillance system connected to AI. <laughs> and they're like, but make sure you go through 86 layers of security on the airplanes. Don't worry about the buses. Don't worry about the trains. You guys can get on that with any of It's all about conditioning you for reporting for duty and being surveilled and having your fingerprints taken, having your irises scanned and having your body scanned and having someone shuffle through all your stuff. The inhuman suspicion and all that. Remember that? The war on terror. Right? And then move on to what they did with COVID, right? Lockdowns. That's how we stop illness by taping up all the playgrounds and putting plastic bags over your kids' heads, basically. Like, this is not about any of the things they say. It's never about the threat they say, but they need to have some kind of a threat in front of you so that you go, I can't deal with all of this. I can't deal with it. 
Uh, so big brother, please come in and help me and provide some handrails and some security features. Please, please keep checking in on me. Like the way your phone checks in on you every two seconds with secure. Oh, you got to do another secure Just stop protecting me. I don't want your protection anymore. It's annoying. Okay. Um, but I'm trying to get to this point. Sorry if I'm wandering of no social stability without individual stability. G. Edward Griffin made this point where he was saying, he was giving his argument for like, just philosophically speaking, there's no such thing as a group. It doesn't exist. Groups are a figment of our imagination that we created. And you're like, what, 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 what kind of blasphemy is that? Think about it. It's individuals hanging out together and doing things together. So no matter how you, no matter what group, no matter the size, the scale, the demographic, it's still individuals coming together to work together. So yeah, you could call it a group. I mean, definition wise, but he's speaking deeper here. He's saying the, the way the government looks at you, they don't want you to identify as an individual because that immediately endows you with your natural critical thinking ability, with your natural intuitive ability, with your natural, if they, they don't want the entire society identifying as individuals anymore, they don't want that to be the trend. Because that equates to, we don't need them. We don't need the cult of the medics. We don't need Big Daddy looking after us all the time to the point where it's freaking annoying and tyrannical. Um, so they want to eradicate the individual as a concept in the Western mind. And it was a concept born in the Western mind. One of the unique things that came out of this place. Yet everybody's just throwing grenades at it, thinking, oh, it's all just evil and all this stuff. That's part of the propaganda to not tell you the good moments that birthed the concept of freedom in the human mind. You're welcome world. Um, but to say, Oh, it was all this and that nothing's perfect, but realize there's a sales pitch being sold to you, which is you don't matter. The group matters. Do you hear that? That's their ultimate. That's Klaus Schwab. One Oh one. That's Antonio Gutierrez of the UN. One Oh one. That's, all the Clintons, all the, like all the Trudeaus, you don't matter. I don't care what you think, David, with your freedom and don't inject me with your experimental cocktails. If you don't, this is about the group. That's always their answer, isn't it? And, and they're identifying themselves as to who they are when they say that. When your media says it, when your politicians say it, when your celebrities parrot it, and now all your friends are parroting what they hear off the big television. They're not getting this. They didn't read Brave New World. They didn't read any of these books. That's why I got to do these reviews. Okay, let's move on. No social stability without individual stability. So the, the argument that I was saying with G. Edward Griffin is he was saying, if there is no such thing as a group, and we understand that if we look at everything from the bottom up, which is individual outwards, not the other way around, then, because their argument for collectivism which is just one leash for many necks, as Tessarian would say. Um, they can't have the idea of an individual to exist. It's the prisoner, the, the prisoner series. You're unmutual with the group. Oh, we'll cast you into the flames. You're not part of the cult, right? But Edward Griffin was saying, when I finally realized, so their argument is the greatest good for the greatest number. Sorry, I'm jumping around a lot. That was what he was trying to say. 
their argument to you, these totalitarians, is this is what they're selling you, the greatest good for the greatest number. Forget about your individual selfish desires to just be left alone by the government and stop paying so much obscene taxes and being surveilled and harassed and tyrannized. Uh, you know, sacrifice that, your ability to be living this life unmolested by the government, sacrifice that in exchange for what's good for everybody. And he said, the thing is, is they don't, that's a sales pitch that sounds good to the human mind, but that's not even what ends up happening. <laughs> Enter in Alexander Solzhenitsyn to tell you all about it. It never happens. It's the sales pitch, but it never happens. Why? Because the truth is that Griffin was saying is that by doing well, making a system that supports the freedom of the individual obviously with the check and balance that that freedom cannot infringe on another individual's freedom, right? That that is the greatest good for the greatest number. That if they were to say, we're here to support the greatest good for the greatest number, okay, then why aren't you the champion of the individual freedoms? Why aren't you following the Nuremberg Code and the constitutions? What's wrong? That's the best way to that road that you're trying to sell us, improving the state of the world. You know, you could be improving everybody's life without you in it, <laughs> well, then that is the greatest good. So all of you out there with your good hearts that are just waking up, welcome. I know you meant well listening to this cult. I know you meant well. But here's the real ice bucket challenge. Read these four books I'm going through today. Just force yourself, put your Nintendo down and your Netflix for two seconds and read these books cover to cover. I'm, I'm giving you this as advice. Take what you want, right? Because what's going to happen is you're going to start to see that they just know these soothsayers and these sorcerers. They know what you want to hear. But they always give you the opposite. And you got to start asking yourself why. And it's because of what Huxley's pointing out. The missing ingredient to all the arguments of this radical Marxist thing is there is no social stability that you guys are all championing and trying to work towards without individual stability. If you don't have empowered, intelligent, educated, hardworking, motivated individuals, your society will implode. And the only conclusion I've been able to come to by hearing them continually throw out that rhetoric without and watching the policies go in completely the other direction, which is just funneling power and money and influence towards them and away from you, away from the individual. I've just seen that it's empty, empty words. They're liars. And it's because they don't want freedom in the world. They don't want you to succeed. They don't want you to have the things they're trying to promise you. They don't even want you to own nothing and be happy. They don't want you to own nothing because a lot of them don't even want you to be here anymore. And when that clicks, and when you go and study totalitarianism and you go read Hannah Arndt, she's another one I should bring up. And you read these people and you read, listen to people that have lived in these tyrannies. I've done interviews with people from Venezuela, from Poland, from so many different places to try to tell you this in different ways that they all experienced the same thing. The sales pitch ended up being way different 
than what actually happened. And it happened again and again and again, because these people are wrong in their conclusions. The people, I mean, not the people I was interviewing, the people they're analyzing, these leaders, quote unquote, these fake emperors, they're wrong. And people like this were right. And they've been proven right and are being proven more right every nanosecond that's ticking by right now. And the reason they're right is because they had the ability by going through the trauma of their age, these authors, they had the ability to see the forest from the trees and they didn't have a crystal ball to make these predictions on. They made these predictions based off of the knowledge of human psychology, of how government tyranny works, of the slogans of the playbook. They knew it and they put it in these different books and they tried to warn us, here we are. So that's why we're dusting them off. Let's keep going, man. I got to go through this quicker. I'm not going to, I'm going to run out of time. Um, bum, 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 bum. Oh, there's another good one I want to do. The mockery made him feel like an outsider and feeling like an outsider. He behaved like one. That's another statement. The outsider. That's a good book. It's actually a book called the outsider. Um, the mockery. Did you guys suffer any mockery in the, in the last while? Standing up for what you believe in? Being an example? You took a lot of mockery. You took a lot of slings and arrows from friends and family, people that you trusted, from your bosses, from your spouses, from people in your life. And hats off to you for getting through that. that those are the bullets that we had to take. In the 30s and 40s, they had to take real bullets. Uh, today, it's mockery bullets. Okay. That's why this part, when I get to the end, is going to become super, super handy for you in this war, okay? But the mockery made you feel like an outsider, didn't it? You were told by Justin Trudeau and all the other clowns, well, it's just a small fringe outsider group that's just, you know, they got wrong opinions. That, he had the balls. Not He didn't have the balls. He doesn't have any balls. He had the nerve, the audacity to come out and say, oh, it's just a small little group and they have a wrong opinion. It's a bad opinion they have. It's incorrect. Who are you? <laughs> Who the hell are you? Um, so you're getting mocked by your friends and family. We're getting mocked by politicians now. We're getting mocked by the media, which is supposed to be unbiased and just reporting facts and letting you decide. And they mocked you openly all over social media everywhere. Why? Because they want you to feel like an outsider. That's how bullies work. That's their whole game. You got to remember that bullies are just, are literally the weakest among you. The weakest among you. The loudest among you is the weakest among you. The one that can't listen and constantly interrupts you every two seconds. They're, they're, these kind of people that are trying to bully you and mock you and put you on the outside, it's because... All they have is this fake reality, this inauthentic reality to live for. And if you have even one inkling within you, and if you even have one, what am I trying to say here? If you even have, there's a hint that you are questioning anything that's keeping this plastic worldview together that these people have that was created for them, especially by the CIA and Tavistock and friends. Uh, if you even 
slightly deviate. If you even raise your hand to go, I wonder if we really should cover the breathing holes of children and make them go watch Cirque du Soleil stripper shows. I just wonder if that's healthy for their psychological development. I just, and they're like, what? They want to make you an outsider. They want to bully you because you're actually not an outsider. You're heroic. You're heroic. And we love you. We love you for standing up to the mockery. Laugh at them harder than they laugh at you. They're the clowns. They are the clowns. Okay. And they're just trying to make you feel like an outsider because of this. The mockery made him feel an outsider and feeling an outsider, he behaved like one. They want to drive you into the fringes so that they make you look even more like a reigning lunatic. In fact, sadly, I know many people who would actually did turn into a raving lunatic. It's like that scene from Lord of the Rings where Aragon is like talking about the ghost army. They're like, who are these guys? It's like, they were once men. <laughs> they were once men. And then they went to raving loonies because they couldn't handle the pressure of being the outsider. That's what happened. They were good people. They saw what was going on. They tried to alert people. They got beaten over the head 24 seven a day by the system, by everyone they knew, by their friends and family, even close colleagues. And it drove them even more to the extreme. Then they just go screw everybody. They take the black pill. And if they didn't off themselves yet, they're living like they're already dead because they're destroyed by the fact that they're an outsider. It's happened to too many people. I won't name names. It's sad, and I still love them dearly because uh, I understand it. But what you can do to survive that is to embrace being an outsider, accept it, and realize that the best champions of humanity, the best champions for human freedom, the best champions for the good in this world, for the truth, have always been, there's no exceptions, the outsider. Take it as a badge of honor that you're an outsider in a profoundly sick world, as Krishnamurti would say. There is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. So you are on the side. You are on. By becoming the outsider in, this, in these fields, just so you know, make sure it's clear, you are joining the ranks of literally the 300 Spartans, of literally the seven samurai, of the best people that have ever set foot on this planet. That's who you're walking with. Yeah, their numbers might be few, but they're growing more and more, aren't they? Who's the small fringe minority these days? Huh? It's changed since the last few times we've, we've spoken. <laughs> it's changed over the years, hasn't it? But that doesn't even matter. Even if you were still the small fringe minority. When Trudeau called me that, I went, sign me up, bro. Thanks for the recognition. Where's my medal? If you're the champion for the propaganda-led masses, what does that make you? King of an anthill, nothing more. So be proud to be an outsider. Last one from Huxley. Everybody's happy now. Yes, everybody's happy now, echoed Lenino. They had heard the words repeated 150 times every night for 12 years. <laughs> it's like uh, Jim Jones when he, when the things you had like the beginning Jim Jones where he's all like 
saintly and charismatic and the women thought he was sexy. And then there was like late stage Jim Jones when he's got the loudspeaker set up and armed patrols at night and people living in concentration camps and they're starving and they're getting closer to the big uh, ritual sacrifice date in Jonestown uh, where he had loudspeakers every night telling you, you're fighting for the cause. We're going to the next dimension. You're on the right side. You're happy. You're free. This is freedom. This is freedom. And he repeats it over and over again. Or like the Khmer Rouge or uh, the, the Stasi or any of these or in Soviet Union, the blaring of the loudspeakers, the propaganda or whatever. This is how they do it. They repeat it over and over again. Or it's safe and effective. Our economy is strong and resilient. Repeat it 2,000 times a day. Everything is fine. Everything is normal. Everybody's happy. Just take this pill and three injections and off you go. Because the, the truth is, they are trying to sell you happiness. I was trying to think of my segue into Frankel, and this is it. They're trying to sell you happiness. I'm going to say something. Might offend you. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. I'm going to drop this grenade in the room and close the door and run away. Fuck happiness. <laughs> <laughs> I see your happiness, and I know there's many different interpretations of the word happiness, okay? Let's not get crazy here. I see your happiness, and I raise you profound, deep meaning and purpose. What do you really want? You want fleeting happiness that comes and goes with the wind? Or do you want strong, lasting, resilient pillars of meaning and inner strength and the ability to survive storms, the ability to survive hurricanes, the ability to survive invasions, the ability to survive the apocalypse that's happening around us right now, the ability to survive the most sophisticated, far-spread propaganda campaign ever recorded in human history. Would you rather be equipped with the, the foundation that you need to survive that and also, and not lose your sanity and not take the black pill and not go down the suicidal path or the drug addiction path or whatever path that's going to keep leading you away from yourself. All for this goal of, oh, one day I'll be happy, one day. Isn't that how we talk about happiness, my friends? This is really big for me because, guys, I'm really passionate today because this is very personal shit for me. Because I, these are the things that changed my life. I was broken before. I grew up broken. I suffered from anxiety and depression. I grew up in that. I lived with fear very close to me as a kid. But things happened. Ideas came into my mind. I read books. I had experiences. I met people that totally changed my life. And this is the information they gave me. This is the information that led me to do this work I'm doing now. I wouldn't have, had the, I wouldn't have wanted to have been on camera talking to people about <laughs> literally I can't say anything about pissing somebody off. I'm the outsider of outsiders. I'm an outsider, even this alternative research community. And I love it because I learned this. Forget about happiness. Happiness to me in the context that it's sold to you by all these self-help gurus. Oh, $29.95. You can be happy. <laughs> um, or, or Klaus Schwab, you know, you'll own nothing and then you'll be happy. They're trying to sell you happiness. 
They tried to sell the Russians happiness in the Soviet Union. They tried to sell the Germans happiness in Nazi Germany. Did we get happiness? Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is always in the, in the past or in the future. Did you notice that? Like, are you happy right now? You better not be. Are you happy with the state of the world? Are you happy with the predation of children and the grooming of children right in front of our eyes? Are you happy with the fact that we're engaged in a global genocide right now that could have been prevented had people listened to the truth? Uh, you better not be happy. Happiness is a momentary thing that you feel when you get your ice, the favorite ice cream cone you wanted that day or like that maybe that first initial um, attraction that you have to your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever. That's like, oh, I'm very happy whenever I'm out with this person. But that goes away real quick, doesn't? And so does the relationship. Why do you think the divorce rate is what, 50, 60%? Couples can't stay together. Relationships fall apart. Why do you think all of your best friends walked away from you because you didn't take Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates' jabs? Because everything's built on a straw house lie. That's why. There's no real organic anything in the world unless you go to people like this and understand it. Happiness is about, well, I'll be happy when I have this. I'll be happy when I get that. I'll be happy when I finally graduate. I'll be happy when, when Hillary Clinton is arrested. <laughs> Look, I'll be very happy then too, okay? I just don't know if I'd use that word anymore. I'm trying to say happiness is fleeting. It's momentary. It is a part of your personality, okay? Don't completely get rid of it. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just trying to say people are addicted to that feeling of the adrenaline rush of what it feels like to be happy when they're not fulfilled in their lives. They don't have any purpose or meaning in life. So they're blowing like leaves with the wind and these are the people that fall for the lies. That's what I'm trying to say. These are the people that fall for the lies. That's why they fell for the lies. Because what did the lies say? Hey, guys, um, we'll put everything back to normal again where you can find your happiness again. As long as you get on your knees and do exactly as you're told without any questions and take all of our drugs and line up and stand on the X and close your business and fucking sell out your country and let us steal from your economy. Like... And they're like, well, I'm, I really need some happiness, so I'll do it. Klaus Schwab, he can't be that bad. <laughs> Let's shake it up. Where's the page? Come on. All right. So Viktor Frankl, if you don't know, was one of the survivors of, uh, I think it was Vienna, one of the concentration camps in Vienna, I believe. And he was, I'm going to uh, go through a little bit in his introduction here, because it's really interesting what he has to say about experiences of surviving a concentration camp, okay? And what I really love about this book and the way Frankl writes it is A, it's all oriented towards the sacredness of the individual and freedom and meaning. But before he was towed by the national socialists into a death camp, he was an expert in something called logotherapy. And he was having a complex when he was in this concentration camp or before 
I guess as things were happening, as they started to see people getting rounded up and all this stuff and the, the tyranny really coming in, he had a choice to make. Was he going to escape Germany and go hide out somewhere and avoid the possibility, because he didn't know if they were going to get everybody, avoid the possibility of him getting tossed into a concentration camp? Or was he going to stay in Germany because he had the ability to actually write and print books and have it go out and circulate and continue his research? I think he was part of a university or something and continue his research into this thing called logotherapy. And he made the decision to stick to his life's mission, which was to pursue this logotherapy thesis that he had, which was about man's search for meaning. Isn't it ironic that a man was living in that time who was naturally inclined to pursue an entire career and way of life in trying to find the search for meaning and actually not just on a philosophical level, but to find a practical way to take that knowledge back and give, a ther give therapy to people who needed it. That's incredible. And lo and behold, doesn't his life experience, just to go through the book really quick, go through the horrors of horror, horror after horror. Because of course he was arrested. He was incarcerated. It's all documented. He was there. The stuff he witnessed, he documents it. It's, it's, it's incredible to imagine people seeing this stuff. And then he comes out and he ends up writing the book in the concentration camp. Like if you, you think, if you're stuck in a concentration camp, watching people just working under slave labor conditions and rotting flesh all around you, and murder and people getting taken away in trains. You never know. You never see them again. And, you know, just stuff people can't even imagine, right? And in, this guy is still sitting in his cell writing a book about meaning. Oh, like you got to listen to people like this. All right. So let's go through this a bit. He gives logotherapy in a nutshell. What, what's his thesis here? So readers of my short autobiographical story usually ask for a fuller and more direct explanation of my therapeutic doctrine. Accordingly, I added a brief section on logotherapy to the original edition of From Death Camp to Existentialism, but that was not enough, and I've been besieged by requests for a more extended treatment. Therefore, in the present edition, I've completely rewritten and considerably expanded my account. The assignment was not easy. To convey to the reader within a short space all the material which required 20 volumes in German is an almost hopeless task. I'm reminded of the American doctor who once turned up in my office in Vienna and asked me, now doctor, are you a psychoanalyst? Whereupon I replied, not exactly a psychoanalyst, let's say a psychotherapist. Then he continued to question me, what school do you stand for? I answered, well, it's my own theory and it's called logotherapy. Can you tell me in one sentence what is meant by logotherapy, he asked? Well, at least, what is the difference between psychoanalysis and logotherapy? Yes, I said. But in the first place, can you tell me in one sentence what you think the essence of psychoanalysis is? This was his answer. During psychoanalysis, the patient must lie down on a couch and tell you things which sometimes are very disagreeable to tell. Whereupon I immediately retorted with the following improvisation. Now, in logotherapy, the patient may remain sitting erect, but he must hear things which sometimes are very disagreeable to hear. Of course, this was meant facetiously and not as a capsule version of logotherapy. However, there is something in it inasmuch as logotherapy in comparison with psychoanalysis 
is a method less retrospective and less introspective. Logotherapy focuses rather on the future, that is to say, on the meanings to be fulfilled by the patient in his future. Logotherapy, indeed, is a meaning-centered psychotherapy. So there's your nutshell. If anybody ever asks you, you just say, oh yeah, this logotherapy that Frankel came up with, it's meaning-centered psychotherapy. And it can actually be self-applied. <laughs> so you don't even have to pay somebody $400 an hour. Lovely. At the same time, logotherapy defocuses all the vicious cycle formations and feedback mechanisms, which play such a great role in the development of neurosis. Thus, the typical self-centeredness of the neurotic is broken up instead of being continually fostered and reinforced. To be sure, and when he's talking about that self-centeredness, he's speaking about the ego, okay? Just so everybody knows the difference. There's the ego, and then there's the imperial self, and those are two very different things, all right? And he would agree with me on that. Uh, thus, blah, blah, blah. So to be sure, this kind of statement is an oversimplification, yet in logotherapy, the patient is actually confronted with and reoriented towards the meaning of his life. So think about it now. Look at all the articles that come out, all the stuff on the racks at the grocery store about psychology today. You know, we finally found this new pill that will help you deal with your eating disorder. Like it's just, it's, it's all compartmentalized and it's like the whole medical system. Every illness is looked at in a compartment in isolation from the rest of the body, the rest of the whole being, cause you're a mind, a body and a soul. And then they pull it out and then they pull out this big book that has a list alphabetically of what drugs or what interventions the medical sciences are going to do to address that isolated little unit of a problem. Whereas geniuses don't isolate it. They look at it as a whole thing and they try to find a way to get you voluntarily to rinse out that, those issues yourself. So it's a more naturopathic approach. So what Frankel is really advocating for here is like the natural path version of psychotherapy. And it just so happens to be deeply philosophical as well, talking about the meaning of life. Let me explain, he says, why I have employed the term logotherapy as the name for my theory. Logos in Greek is a word which denotes meaning. Logotherapy, or as it has been called by some authors, the third Viennese school of psychotherapy, focuses on the meaning of human existence as well as on man's search for such a meaning. According to logotherapy, this striving to find a meaning in one's life is the primary motivational force in man. Okay. Uh, this is the key to it all, all right? It's the key to the solution, the whole thing. You have a therapy where the primary motivational force, they're trying to find your primary motivational force. What is your primary motivational force? They'll ask it as a question. What motivates you? <laughs> Keep it simple. What is it that motivates you? Well, what motivated you even come to podcasts like this or do this kind of research? You're trying to find answers to questions, right? You're trying to learn things. You're trying to hear different perspectives. You're trying to, you know, get different ideas. What's that rooted in? It's rooted in the primary thing that motivates you, man, woman, child, race, gender, doesn't matter, all human beings. It motivates you. It's this prime signal that I think comes from the creator, ultimately, the creative force in this universe to propel your natural evolution. That's why it's there. 
And that is the primary motivation. The primary motivational force in you is to find meaning. So number one conspiracy is they came in and went, what is the primary motivational force of human beings? And how can we capture that, isolate it, and then direct it so that they build our world? And they make us wealthy. And they benefit us. That's what they did. So they went, they figured out, what, they, know, they know all this shit too, the dark lords in the world and queens, the dark sorcerers and sorceresses. They know this. They know finding meaning in your life, finding purpose in your life is the number one motivational factor behind everything. So let me just say this straight to you and take it as you wish. Okay, I'm saying this with all the love in the world. If you're having trouble with motivation, solve the puzzle, carry the one. Why are you having trouble with motivation? It's because you haven't found the meaning in what you're doing. If you're not motivated to do the thing that you're saying you have to do, first of all, why are you your own slave driver criticizing yourself for not being motivated enough? Don't be that. That'll turn yourself against yourself. Always go back to the primary. If you go to the primary, you'll never get lost, ever. If you know that as a functional human being, I am here to find meaning and then take a step from there, which is to actualize and create something out of the meaning that I have found. So it's an action principle. It's not just sit back and tell the guy with the glasses and the cigar what you're doing. It's get off your ass and find meaning in life and in the things that you want and then apply your will to that meaning and create something out of nothing. You will never feel depressed again if you find this, ever. I'm saying that from life experience, guys, and I was in the darkest of the dark before I realized this. So if I can come out of it, I really do truly believe anybody can. This is key. And this is also key to understand that your Tavistock people, the CIA, the, these, these control freaks have this on speed dial. They know exactly what motivates. They know you're a motivated being. So why do, you, why do you think they're putting bread and circuses in front of you? Left, right, and center. Distractions. What are they distracting you from? Nobody ever, they just go, oh, they're just distracting us. Okay, finish the sentence. What are they distracting you from? Well, the truth? What's the truth? Uh, what happened on 9-11? <laughs> okay, getting warmer. Bigger than that. Think bigger. Think bigger. The truth is that the foundational principle, the foundational force that motivates you to exist is to find meaning. That's a gift that's built in. It's part of your soul energy. And if they can hijack that and direct it to something else, then a natural process that you would, all, you would already be undertaking... Is the conspiracy making more sense? And is the solution also making more sense? I hope, right? So I just love that. It focuses on the meaning of human existence as well as on man's search for such meaning. The striving to find meaning is one's life, or sorry, in one's life. Let me do that again. The striving to find meaning in one's life 
is the primary motivational force in the human being. Now, he talks about something real quickly here. The will to meaning. Just that sentence, the will to meaning. Uh, you know about the will to power. What was that? Nietzsche, will to power. Came up with that concept, threw philosophy over for a couple spins. I just love that Frankel comes in with yet another spin to go, ah, will to power, sure, but what about will to meaning? Now what are we talking about? So he goes, man's search for meaning is the primary motivation in his life and not a secondary rationalization of instinctual drives. Because that's what the materialist, that's what Sam Harris is going to tell you it is, okay? Just turn Sam Harris off for a little bit. Let him cool down. This meaning is unique and specific in that it must and can be fulfilled by you alone. And only then does it achieve a significance which will satisfy your own will to meaning. So this is a key thing. I'm not going to keep going because I'm running slow on time here. I've got more to go through. Um, me just telling you this doesn't mean jack shit. That's the truth. I could tell it to you. You could read the book. You go, that's a nice thought. That sounds about right. And then if you just default back to your normal settings, you'll be like, it didn't work, Dave. Frankel was full of shit. Because you missed the step that's right there that says, all the other interventions are external to you and applied by other people to you to fix you. All your self-help gurus, all your gurus, all your cult leaders, all your preachers, all your rabbis, all your holy this and holy that, all your politicians, all your po celebrities, all the voices out there, all the doctors, all the medics, they're coming in, and we're not saying it's all bad, but we're, we're on a philosophical level of thinking here, okay? Everything is other people applying techniques to you to fix you. And if you understand where someone like this is coming from, do you see the problem with that when it comes to like lasting solutions that actually work and stay with you? Because like, think about pills that people take to uh, keep them sane. That's what people tell me when I'm like, why are you taking these meds? Oh, it keeps me sane. Does it? Or does it keep you on a hamster wheel? And does somebody else get to buy a yacht from all the money you're spending on that bullshit? Sorry, I'm sure there's probably drugs and stuff out there that are good. I'm not, I'm just saying this is how I think. And I'm thinking it because I used to have to do that as like when I was in my teens going through this shit. They gave me like Paxil and all this stuff to deal with stuff. When all it took was a good conversation with my karate sensei, a good friend of mine who took me in and took care of me and some of these books and information and I just cured myself. And guys, I have never looked back to this day. Never felt it, never felt the depression, never felt it come back ever again. It's, I, it, I'm expecting it to come back and it never does. Because instead of having other people poke and prod and, oh, take these pills and take these jabs and do all these things and follow our 12 steps for life and go on all these retreats and do all these yogas and shit, I just went, no, no, no. That's all other people telling me what to do. It's my problem. It's my monkey which means it's my responsibility to deal with. So I have to be active in the process. I can't be passive. I mean, don't get me wrong. Having people help you, having people guide you, having people motivate and inspire you and tell you what they, this is what I'm doing right now, hopefully. We're not talking about that. We're talking about when all the people come up and they're, they're the expert. Oh, I know what to do. Don't listen to those guys. 
don't meaning, what does the meaning of life have to do with curing your depression or your fear? Here's the 12 step program. Insert the credit card here. Thank you. Right. That's the world. And guess what? It's everybody's still bloody mad and crazy and scared and afraid and depressed and suicidal. All right. Cause everybody's drugged up and dumbed down. These people weren't trying to drug you up and dumb you down. They were trying to get you to stand up and realize you've got everything built within you already. Your very orientation at the base frequency of your humanity is oriented towards deriving meaning from life. And if you can't do that, you are lost at sea and every snake oil salesman in the world will be showing up at your doorstep for the rest of your life until this gets understood. It's liberating, truly. Because now you're going to go, wait a minute, I don't just have to talk to some random stranger that I paid a lot of money to just hear my problems anymore. Maybe that helps on some levels. Maybe that's a good intro. This is the advanced class here where you can do this without paying anybody anything. I mean, okay, fine. Maybe you want to buy the book, 10 bucks. Okay, there you go. Buy the book and read it. Um, probably get a free PDF online. You can understand that you have all the tools within you to get through all of this. And now here we are, my friends, living in a wartime where what's the, what is the domain of this war that we're in? What domain did, what ground did they choose? The enemy got to choose the ground of the war. It was your mind. It was narratives. It was ideas. It was opinions. It was beliefs. It was propaganda. It was repetitive slogans and phrases. It was flashy images on your television and your smartphone. It was scrolling your social media feeds and just believing everything you read. That's the, that's the battleground. I'm giving you the hack to survive this from these great thinkers. And I'm realizing how powerful it is right now as I'm live reading these statements to you. That's why I'm very passionate about this. Okay. I really got to go on this now. All right. So we're going to save Brandon for the end. Let's get a little bit now. So I hope that, hope that helps. I hope that made sense. It was something also Michael told me once. He said it in an interview and it just, I was speechless. And he said, the world is never going to give you freedom. The world is never going to give you meaning. That is a gift that you give yourself if you're capable of doing that. And I never understood that last comment he made at the end of that statement because he said, it made sense. Yeah, the meaning is derived from within outwards, not the other way around. If I don't have any internal meaning coming from within out to the world, then I won't have empathy with the world and the people in it. Because empathy comes from within outwards. It doesn't come from without inwards. So I get what he's saying. Free and freedom and meaning, man, that they hang out. They hang out. They're buddies. Okay. So if you can't derive the meaning from within and you're constantly waiting for other people to give you a prescription for life, you're not going to find meaning because that's their meaning applied to you. Maybe the meaning they're sharing with you is very relevant to them. Doesn't mean it's going to work for you the way they did it though. Right? So you're still going to have to sit there and go, 
all right, I'll try your little program here. I'll read you a little book, but it's not going to really do anything until you translate it into something that works for you and, to, and come from within yourself to the world, right? So that makes sense. Freedom and meaning are not going to be given to you by the world. Don't expect the government or Phil, Dr. Phil or any of these people to walk up and just hand you freedom and meaning. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, that's not the business they're in, all right? Um, it's something you give your, it's a gift. It's a gift you give yourself. And then final sentence, if you're capable of doing that. And I went, what, what, capable? I mean, it must be easy enough once I understand it, right? Yeah, realize that, oh, wow. In a world this confused, in a world this lost, in a world this corrupt, it is something that you have to rise to. to ch it is a challenge to rise to. It is not so easy. It's not as easy as just hearing it. You have to do it. And doing it means you're going to become the outsider. You're going to get mocked. You're going to get people looking at you. Also, they're mocking you too. Remember the people around you when you're going on this soul discovery journey? They're mocking you, not because they have a legitimate critique of what you're doing. They're bloody jealous of you because they wish they see the example that should activate something in them to go, hey, uh, Man, that's Stephanie. She's really taking on life by the horns here. She's really trying to find meaning in life. Wow, good for her. Oh, she's challenging the media and the government. Wow, good for her. That takes a lot of guts. What's that? How did she get to that? You know? And instead of looking at you as an example, they just want to tear you to shreds like the crabs in the bucket. It's human nature. We can't get away from it. The minute you rise up a little bit, they want to drag you back down like the mafia, right? So you're going to need a spine. That's why I call it truth warrior and not truth ponies and rainbows. All right. So, uh, let's move on here. So I hope that made sense. Meaning comes from within. It's a gift you give yourself. You are capable of doing it. We just got to rewire some of the thinking and this is how we escape the matrix. Now let's move on to some warnings, some warnings that were given to us by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Now I want to see what part of the page. Okay. Now I just want to see if this starts on the previous page. Sorry. Okay. He's talking about how they employ propaganda. What is it when they employ the sort of, and he's talking about how the communist takeover happens. Okay. What kind of, what, what is it when they employ the sort of malevolent propaganda, which is proudly called, quote, ideological warfare in the Soviet Union? Remember the interview with Yuri Bezmenov? And he was using the term, he, he called it ideological subversion, right? Which is also accurate. But ideological warfare, ideological subversion, different terms for what we call propaganda, I guess, right? He says, let us not have that. If we're going to be friends, let's be friends. If we're going to be, uh, and let's end, have an end to ideological warfare. The Soviet Union and the communist countries know how to conduct negotiations. For a long time, they make no concessions and they give in just a little bit. Right away, there is some rejoicing. Quote, hey, look, they've made a concession. It's time to sign. For two years, the European negotiators of 35 countries have painfully been negotiating and their nerves have been stretched to the breaking point. Finally, they gave in. A few women from the communist countries may now marry foreigners. 
A few newspaper men will now be permitted to travel a little more than before. They give one one thousandth of what a natural law should provide, things which people should be able to do even before such negotiations were undertaken. And already there is joy. And here in the West, we hear many voices that say, look, they're making concessions. It's time to sign. So he's, he's, try, he's basically trying to say, they say something. He's using this example of them signing some kind of agreement. But this would be applicable to anything that these people do, which is they go, okay, guys, we're ready to get rid of a rive can. We're ready to allow you to travel in your country and then leave and come back without showing your digital papers. We're ready to allow you to go back to work again without showing your digital papers, right? Like, oh, they're making a little concession. But the concession is always, remember, what he's trying to get to, and he keeps going through it, is that they, they create something that breaks the natural law by introducing a new illegitimate law. And then they only take away half of the illegitimate law when you protest, right? And they walk it back only a bit, only an inch. And then the people believe, hey, we won, right? And they know this. But the, the thing they rolled back that they didn't roll all the way back was the thing they introduced to begin with that already violated your freedom when you had a time that existed where none of that law, none of that regulation was in your face. So he's talking about the game of inches and how they do this. Okay, I just hope you understand that. During these two years of negotiations in all the countries of Eastern Europe, even in Yugoslavia and Romania, the pressure has increased. The, op the oppression intensified. So he's saying the, the oppression of the government intensified during these negotiations, which were negotiations for freedom. Okay, And it is precisely now that the Austrian chancellor says, we must sign this agreement as rapidly as possible. What sort of an agreement will this be? The proposed agreement is the funeral of Eastern Europe. It means that Western Europe will finally, once and for all, sign away Eastern Europe, stating that it is perfectly willing to see Eastern Europe oppressed only to please don't bother us. And the Austrian chancellor thinks that if all these countries are pushed into a mass grave, Austria at the very edge will somehow survive and not fall into it as well. So he's talking about how there was sort of like a, let's cut ourselves off from Eastern Europe because they're going down the way of communism and poverty and tyranny. And um, if we just let them die, we don't do anything to help them somehow will survive. And he's basically saying that's not true because it spreads like a cancer and the whole, sh it, that ship sinking is going to bring the whole ship down. And it's funny because I think this was written, these were some of the st stuff he did in the seventies. Yeah. These are, these are, this book is a compilation of lectures he gave on the university circuit in the U S during the seventies. Okay. Seventies and eighties. And so think of the context of the time. All right. What was going on and then look at, the formation of the European Union. We just did a show on Unslaved about the corporatocracy, talking all about it. So it's interesting that what he's saying here. Um, okay, this is what I really wanted to get to. You have to understand, he says, the nature of communism, the very ideology of communism. All of Lenin's teachings are that anyone who doesn't take what's lying in front of him is considered a fool. If you take it, do so. If you can attack, strike. But if there's a wall, then retreat. The communist leaders respect only firmness and have contempt for purpose for persons who continually give in to them. That was a key phrase I wanted to read to you guys. Think of this. The communist leaders respect only firmness 
and have contempt for persons who continually give in to them. So I just want to tell this to all of you guys out there flying the flag of these tyrants, not you listening to the show, but to the people out there that are supporting these people and fighting for all their causes and lighten up your Molotov cocktails. The people you're serving that promised you utopia hate you. They actually look at you, the guys fighting on the front lines in Antifa and all that shit. They look at you as the first guys to be shot in the back of the head when the, when the new regime takes over. Because you're expendable. You're gullible, right? And they look at you with more contempt because of your weakness. That's how they see you. And I'm just saying that straight up. The people that are supporting the tyrants all the way up to the chain, all the people that were, get your fourth jab, lock everybody down, kill all the unvaccinated, all of you guys, you cheerleaders, just so you know, you think you're cheering for big daddy and big mommy and that they're going to reward you like a good little boy or girl for supporting the new regime. But when the new regime takes over, they hate you more because of how pliable you are and how gullible you are and how weak you are. They respect firmness. They have more respect for Canadian truckers. Justin Trudeau and his coterie have more respect for the Canadian truckers than you think. It's a weird catch because they secretly admire the fact that you have a backbone. They secretly respect you as an enemy. They go, oh, hey, at least somebody's pushing back. Those will make it a good fight. All these pansies that are just doing everything we say without question. What a bunch of losers. That's why they're the first to go. You're hearing it from people that lived it, all right? Your people are now saying, and this is the last quotation I'm going to give you from the statements of your leaders, power without any attempt at conciliation will lead to world conflict. But I would say that power with continual acquiescence is not power at all. So people think they're powerful. Oh, we're fighting for the new world. These are the new gang in town. Let's just support them and kiss the signet ring. Can't do anything anyways. Let's just recruit, get recruited into it. And somehow there's a moral high ground these people think they have. No, no, completely the opposite is what he's saying. And so, um, oh, and then, sorry, there is one more from Solzhenitsyn. Did I, did I save it? Yeah, it's this one, isn't it? Um, history of civilization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, here it is. Sorry, I forgot this one bit. <clears throat> Later on, a few moments later, Solzhenitsyn says, in addition to the grave political situation in the world today, we are also witnessing the emergence of a crisis of unknown nature. Okay, this is in the 80s. One completely new and entirely non-political. We are approaching a major turning point in world history, in the history of civilization. It has already been noted by specialists in various areas. I can compare it only with the turning from the Middle Ages to the modern era a shift in our civilization. It is a juncture at which settled concepts suddenly become hazy, lose their precise contours, at which our familiar and commonly used words lose their meaning, become empty shells and methods which have been reliable for many centuries no longer work. It's the sort of turning point where the hierarchy of values 
which have been venerated and which we use to determine what is important to us and what causes our hearts to beat is starting to rock and may collapse. These two crises, the political crises of today's world and the oncoming spiritual crisis. So he's predicting there's going to be a major spiritual crisis as well, beyond political. That's going to change everything we think we know and try to dig it up. And he knew that because he knew there was an agenda to accomplish exactly that. They don't have crystal ball. They know the playbook. It is our generation that will have to confront them. The leadership of your country. He's talking to America here. The leadership of your country, which is entering the third century of existence as a nation, will perhaps have to bear a burden greater than ever before in American history. Your leaders will need profound intuition, spiritual foresight, high qualities of mind and soul. <laughs> if only. May God grant that in those times you will have at the helm personalities as great as those who created your country. Yeah. He goes on to talk about some of his travels to the States and yeah, if only guys, because we need leaders, humans need leaders. I wish we could all just be anarchists and live and do all that. And some people are capable of it, of being the outsider eternally and don't need all that. But what's the old Percy Shelley statement about that? When, only when all men are good and wise, government will decay of its own devices only then that's the that's what everybody be waiting for for that utopia to come in place until then humanity does need leaders we're pack animals we're tribalistic it's not all bad either there's a social aspect to us that makes us amazing and allows us to work together without totally tearing each other to bits and you want moral leaders you want people of good heart good conscience good soul good energy to be leading your corporations or your let's let's get rid of the idea of a corporation your businesses right your entrepreneurial ventures your schools how you educate children whether they're in the home or whether they're in a building somewhere or whether they're online the leaders the senseis the people teaching your martial art programs your yoga classes your acrobatics your gymnastics uh the families the family unit the leaders in the home and the leaders of your country in order for it to survive this attack, he says, you need to have leaders that have the moral conviction and that have basically that spirit of God. And look at the leaders we have. Look at what they're doing. We're getting it all up on display. What kind of, and the, and the, the, it's so simple. It's not even complicated. You don't have to do all this deep thinking. It's very simple. The proof is in the pudding. People say shit. And then they do something different. Move on. Like, if our leaders are saying one thing and doing another, if they're not acting in a moral way that's acting on the best interest of every individual person that they govern, that we're, are supposed to be governing and working for, if they're acting against that, they're gone. That's it. You're not qualified. You failed. The second they get out of hand, what's happening in France right now, it happens everywhere. Oh, nope. 
We're not going to work, shutting down all the trucks, done. We're not playing along, we're not complying. If everybody was like immediately responsive like that, we wouldn't have these guys. Now, that's a pipe dream. I don't think that'll ever be possible to get everybody like that. But he, I just he's, he's trying to warn the West. He was trying to warn the West at the time and say, this is what it's going to take. And it, so let's put it this way. If we can't find those qualities in our leaders, this next best option is to try to derive it from within yourself. And that leads you back to Viktor Frankl again. So it's all related. It all works out. Um, did I have any more? Let me just quickly, I know I had, let me just do this real quick. Alexander, I have a nice little note saved with some of these. There's a few good ones I missed out on last time. <laughs> just talk amongst yourselves for a minute. Ah, oh, here it is. Yeah. This is going to be a statement for the insiders, the future white hats. Join the white hat movement, guys. If you're on the inside on any of this, listen up. Solzhenitsyn says this, in keeping silent about evil, in burying it so deep within us that no sign of it appears on the surface, we are implanting it and it will rise up a thousandfold in the future. When we neither punish nor reproach evildoers, we are not simply protecting their trivial old age. We are thereby ripping the foundations of justice from beneath future generations. Oh, that is like uppercut, hook, cross to the chin, that statement, okay? It's one of my favorite combos. In keeping silent about evil, you guys working on the inside, sitting there on your hands because you're afraid to lose your career and your prestige and you're worried about becoming the outsider if you come out and tell the truth about what you know, What's going to happen is that evil is going to bury deep within you. It's going to bury itself within you, and it's slowly going to rot your soul, just like the analogy of the tapeworm. It's not always what you do. It's also what you don't do. So if you are witnessing crimes against humanity happen around you, if you are witnessing acts of evil and corruption and tyranny around you, and you know it's going on, but you're simply just too afraid to stand out and talk about it or do something about it. And you're on the inside, which means you have responsibility given to you that the average man doesn't. And if you bury it because of your fear of becoming the outsider, if you say the truth, you're signing your doom. <laughs> you're signing your doom. It's not going to work out. And the people you're protecting, they don't care about you either. They don't care about you. History has shown us that. People like you guys, the insiders that didn't say anything, you're the first to get taken out when these regimes take full power. And if they don't take you out, the public, when they find out that you knew the whole time and you did nothing, they'll be the ones to take you out. So it's better to stand on the right side of history. I know this sounds a little harsh, but we're in dire situation right now and you need to understand what's happening. You're implanting it and it's going to rise up a thousandfold in the future. This also goes for not just the insiders in our institutions, but what about parents? What about all these moms taking their kids to these drag shows all the time and, and all this ridiculous nonsense, masking their kids? 
You don't know what you're implanting. You don't know what you're robbing the future generations of. We give it away so easily. Like, literally, guys, the shit we're up against, the stuff we're seeing happen, and I'm seeing this in Canada right now, I'm a little extra riled up because of the stuff going on right now. It's, a, it's getting it's crazy. I don't think people fully grasp what we're just walking away from. I'm talking about the people that are still clapping for these champagne dictators. They don't get it. What the, they don't know the scale of the battle that took place just to move humanity an inch forward in terms of evolving consciousness and having an idea of freedom and a little slice of life where you're not getting whipped in the galleys. You know what I mean? One, people just don't know. They're not teaching it in school. They're not teaching it in the media. They don't know what our forefathers had to go through to achieve where we got. And yet all we do is sit back and throw rocks at it all. Yeah, it's corrupt. Yeah, it's not perfect. But don't throw stones at the whole thing. For God's sake, do you know the world before a country like America existed or a country like Canada existed? These were the countries. Why are these the countries? that people from real tyranny country, tyranny ridden countries flee to. They flee. They don't go fleeing to Venezuela. Do you see a big contingent of people going to live in Beijing, China right now? I know there is a lot of hippies that go live there, but are people, good people too. I'm not, I don't want to put it in a basket. Apologies for that. But you know what I'm saying to go live in a dictatorship. Nobody's fleeing to go live into a dictatorship. They're coming to the place that has, it's not perfect. It's run by a deep state cabal, but it's because of the because of certain wins that were won by small groups of individuals over time. Look how they only moved the needle a little bit. Like we could go so much better than what we've had, but just moving the needle a little bit towards freedom, a little bit towards the idea of having a life that's of meaning and purpose. It became the envy of the world. It became the eye of the prize of the dark Illuminati people who went, oh, whoa, whoa, we got to shut that shit down right away and get everybody back to the slave colony we're trying to build. And people just throw it away. All the people that died and all the people that fought for this and all the battles to end slavery that nobody gives us credit for ever. Show me any other civilization that rose up and fought slavery to the degree that happened in the West. None still to this day. That's isn't that blowing your mind? And then by the way, that kind of slavery didn't ever end. It just morphed and changed into what we have now. But people just giving it up. Oh no, it's we gotta destroy it and build something else. Do you know what they're building? Building a global gulag. And they're selling you the carrot on the stick to get there. And I just it pisses me off to watch it happen. We need to get to the young get to them and teach them what happened with his, in history. So if we don't, oh, this is another good point. When we neither punish nor reproach evildoers. So look, criminals are getting let off. The criminals are now running our government and our banking institutions and our everything, media. Yet good people, the farmers, the truckers, the average patriots, the hardworking average person, we're now considered the criminals in our own countries. 
That's what happens when you don't punish evildoers. That's what happens when they keep getting away scot-free. When I see these people say, well, you know what? Trudeau should resign. That would be good. He better resign. He should do the right thing. <laughs> guy's ever going to resign. If he does, it's because he's getting promoted in the UN or something. Okay? I don't want resignations. That Dong Kong Hong guy in Canada that just went and resigned because it turns out he's like basically a deep state operative for Beijing or whatever. Resignations, that's just not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. If you want a society that is crime-free, or at least as crime-free as you can get, criminals need to be absolutely petrified to commit even the slightest crime. And there's zero in the way. The police, the people supposedly protecting us from the criminal class are now in bed with the criminal class. That's because we got so light on the criminals. Criminals get, were given more rights than the victims of the crimes. And you wonder why it is what it is. These guys set, the, they rigged the game so that there was no punishment for that. They would get, get obviously a criminal is going to come in and set up this, the game so that they can keep getting away with their criminal activity. Right? So... Just wanted to bring out some Solzhenitsyn for you. Please read more of his, his works. Just go, you know what? Make it simple for yourself. Just tonight, before you go to bed, just Google Alexander Solzhenitsyn quotes. Just put that in Google and just find one of them and just start reading down the page. Just read different quotes. You'll just find some gems in there, okay? Brilliant stuff. All right, I got to wrap it now on this. This book... This is one of those books you read and then your hands shake after. That's one of these books, at least for me. Um, I'll give you the synopsis real quick here. I had a good note on it. Pull that up. There it is. Okay. I'll say it in one sentence and then I'll read the intro because the intro is killer. Think of self-esteem in this context, okay, because I know there's like the self-esteem that everybody thinks they know about and it's what's all the new self-help gurus and all that. I think even that term self-esteem is not quite the best one. But when you understand it in the context, because context is everything, when you understand the context of where Brandon is coming from, it's way bigger than you know, okay? So in his definition, ultimately you could boil it down to this, that self-esteem is an essential nutrient of your consciousness. It is related to the primary force that motivates you as a human being, which is to derive meaning in life. Now we got to get to how to actually actualize it. And you can't actualize it until you have an understanding of what the self even is, how to differentiate that from your ego how to do it without throwing your ego out into the, <laughs> into the woods alone, naked by itself, but to realize that everything just needs to be ordered correctly and put in its place and understood and embraced and cared for, okay? This is about self-knowledge and self-love on the deepest level. I find it interesting that term self-love triggers people. If I ask somebody, go, do you have any self-love? They're like, well, I'm not selfish. Immediately. We'll define the word love then. 
I asked you, do you have self-love? Why is that a triggering statement? Because you haven't learned how to love. And you know why? This is what these teachers are going to tell you. You know why you don't know how to love? And do you know why you're not getting organic love from other people around you? It's because the first and primary ingredient of love starts with true, authentic self-love. <laughs> now, people will always equate this conversation with, oh, you're talking about narcissism, right? Like, you're better than me. <laughs> How insecure everybody is, eh? It's sad. Because you're better than you know. You're greater than you know. I, I, I'm only sitting here shaking my head because I know the truth. Of, I feel like I know what it is. I know what you are. I know what I am. And if you would turn your nose up at this conversation about self-love, I know the damage has been done. It's essential nutrients. Like all plants, all life, there's essential things that it needs. If the sun stops shining... Everything dies. That's how essential that photosynthesis is. Just like that photosynthesis from the sun, imagine the inner sun, because that's what your soul is. That's why the name sun in Latin is sol, S-O-L, because your soul is made of photonic light. That's what it is. So the inner sun, which is the soul, that's the self I'm talking about. When I say self, when Brandon says self, that's it. Not just the ideation of the self, which is the ego. Well, okay, we'll get into that conversation. It gets all complicated every time you use these words. And the reason I'm saying that real quick, I hope I'm not confusing you too much, um, is that I believe the ego, I, I'm with Wilhelm Reich on the theory that the ego, we talk about the ego is not in your head. It's actually the physical body. The physical body and the skin of your body is the ego. That's an interesting theory. Um, so again, putting everything in its right order. When you put everything in its right order and you give everything that you require as a living being, all the nutrients, as a metaphor, that you require... If you do that, you are going to be capable of deriving meaning from life and you will cease to have these problems with fear, anxiety, depression, and worry about what everybody thinks of you. And you'll actually find success in your life. It's as simple as that. So self-esteem, self-love, self-knowledge, capital S, imperial self, kingdom of heaven within, soul essence, photonic energy self, Love of that, respect for that, and with love, what comes secondary to love? Nurture and caring. You care for what you love. If you love something, you're going to care for it. I used to love my brand new Michael Jordan tennis shoes that I got, or basketball shoes that I got when I was a kid. It's kind of a, it's a, an object love. I cleaned those things every time. I'd see a little speck of dirt get on it. I'd go home and clean it off because I wanted them to look brand new. So because I, I had, I know this is maybe not the best example, but it'll do. I, I, kinda, I had a love. I had an affection for these new shoes. I wanted to keep them clean. I wanted to keep them new. My, my love for it, for lack of a better word, 
inspired me to care for them. My parents didn't tell me to do that. I did it naturally because I, 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 I also cared about how I looked. I cared about how I was presenting myself to people. I wanted to look clean. I didn't want to look like I just walked out of the gutter. I wanted to be respectful, you know, of myself. So I took the care to clean it and make it as shiny as, and then obviously forget and they get dirty and whatever. But it's an example of what we have to do every day. It's the secondary action to love is nurture and care. So if you're not nurturing and caring for yourself, because you haven't found true self-love, what are you going to turn into? You're going to start dyeing your hair pink and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're going to start, you're going to start hating yourself. What's the, hate and like loathing and fear. It's the absence of something. It's not its own thing. It's the absence of like darkness is the absence of the light. Hate and self-hate is the absence of self-love. It's the natural default setting that happens when self-love is no longer present. Does that make sense? And the controllers of this world and the cult leaders of this world and the priest classes of this world would love nothing more than for you to be groveling on your knees to them to achieve a false state of enlightenment and nirvana and connection to God and love and compassion and all the fancy slogans they sell you. Meanwhile, they're telling you in exchange for the glories of the kingdom of heaven that we, the priests, are going to give you if you give us your allegiance and the minds of your children, uh, then we will give you the fulfillment of life. We will give you the prescription for life. Don't you dare be thinking about generating that from within. That's selfish. You're selfish for loving yourself. You should love others. Love everybody else but yourself. Now, nothing wrong with loving others. I love many people. But I don't love them in the absence of also knowing what real self-love is. You can't go back the other way. You can't you'll never, you'll always be performing. You'll, you'll turn into somebody that's very fake if you go down that path of pure, just, well, as long as I'm loving everybody else and hating myself and doing very destructive things to my body and my mind and my soul every day at the expense of making sure I please everybody else and make sure they know they're loved. Meanwhile, I'm not taking care of myself. I'm putting my own oxygen mask on. What's going to happen? You're going to suffocate. You're going to burn out. You're going to start resenting people. You're going to turn into a very nasty person. And then you're going to start voting for people like Justin Trudeau. And you're going to start cheering for tyranny to come in and save you from the absence of yourself. So if you think that a self-help book like this is unrelated to the global tyranny, I got news for you, my friends. It's couldn't be more relative. It couldn't be more relative. Okay. I'm going to go a little bit over time here for you. There is a powerful craving, Brandon says, in most of us to see ourselves as instruments in the hands of others and thus free ourselves from the responsibility for acts that are prompted by our own questionable inclinations and impulses. Both the strong and the weak grasp at the alibi. The latter, meaning the weak, hide their malevolence 
under the virtue of obedience. You know anybody that hides behind the virtue of obedience? They acted dishonorably because they had to obey orders. Just like all the cops that are curb stomping people in the streets for doing absolutely nothing wrong and giving full... I'm not even going to go there. I'm going to take too long on these rants. All the people that are following the being, being obedient, if obedience is the ultimate virtue in our society, I promise you with every bit of knowledge that I've been given by greater minds than myself that we're going to go full-blown tyranny. If obedience is the, is the number one uh, virtue in the world. And I mean obedience in man, obedience to these Klaus Schwab mofos. The strong too, though, this is on the strong. Some of these alpha types can, can fall prey. They claim absolution by proclaiming themselves the chosen instrument of a higher power, whether, whether it's God, history, fate, a nation, or humanity. They're still under the same hex. They're still missing the ingredient because they're projecting outwards. They're projecting outwards and saying, I am the divine, holy representative of the truth. I've climbed a mountaintop. Kneel before me. And yet that is worshipped by the masses as being virtuous. And the person that goes, yeah, I think you're full of shit. I'm going to go my own way and listen to the divine presence of the universe within my own being. Thank you very much. I'll get my instructions directly from the source, okay? Oh, you're selfish. Look at you. Who must be nice. That's what happens. Because it's you're getting attacked by the people that suffer from the very condition I'm telling you, which is a complete lack of self-knowledge and self-love. And it was weaponized. It's beyond just, oh, humanity drifts this way. It was programmed into us. It was nurtured by the best soothsayers and orchestra conductors and mind control experts and all these psychotherapists, all these people. It was nurtured by the best of the best to engender this. Also, the cultural attack is part of making sure that this is the idea that reigns supreme, that obedience is virtue, and true authenticity is the enemy. It's what Orwell, you know, had said, Free slavery is freedom and ignorance is truth and all that. So he's, he's going to differentiate it from pride now, okay? And pride in a, neg in a negative sense. I think that's what he's going to say. Pride in a sense of worth derived from something that is not part of us. Oh, he's saying pride is, that's what it is. Pride, like a false pride which is usually what people go in their minds when they think you're talking about this, but you're really trying to talk about true self-love. You know, this negative pride is a sense of worth derived from something that is not part of us, while self-esteem, in this sense, derives from the potentialities and achievements of the self within us. We are proud when we identify ourselves with an imaginary self, a leader, a holy cause, a collective body of possessions, etc., there is fear and intolerance in pride. It is insensitive and uncompromising. The less promise and potency in the self, the more imperative is the need for pride. The core of pride is self-rejection. 
So put that in your pipe and smoke it, man. Like that's a, that's a heavy one. That's a heavy bong hit right there. The core of pride, or I could even say it better as, or not better, but just, I could say that'll make more sense. The core of narcissism is self-rejection. So if the core of narcissism is self-rejection, and we see these world leaders on the stage and all these celebrities and everything, and we go, yeah, look at that. What we're seeing is people that have murdered, literally, their own self. They've severed the connection to that divine signal, and they have become lesser beings. And because they are now lesser beings by their own demotion, I'm not saying this is natural, I'm not trying to, they did it to themselves. Compensation happens. Overcompensation happens. And they have to overcompensate for what they've already cut off. And that's why they need to feed off of you. And that's why they need you to worship. They need you to worship them. It's not enough that you're obedient either. Obedience is not where the buck stops with the people we're dealing with. Worship is what they want. They want you to worship them. They want you to venerate them. They want to be the gods. Why do they want to be the gods? Because they don't know that they already were. They were already a creation of that imperial force that governs all things. They already were given the kingdom of heaven. They were already given all those things, but they chose to cut that off, go for the shiny objects, go for the materialistic paradigm, and that's why they are the ruling psychopaths and dictators, is because they need your worship. They need you to be obedient to them because they don't have a self, so they want to steal your soul light to animate them. It's basically, vamp. think of Dracula. That's what it is on a soul level, okay? So I did this as a post a while back and it was kind of my own thoughts mixed with what Brandon was saying here, okay? Your life and your overall success and happiness depend on you being right and correct in your decisions and in your beliefs. I'm gonna repeat that, it's very important. Your life, think about this. Your life and your overall success and happiness depends on you being right and correct in your decisions and beliefs. To conduct your life with a worldview that says there is no such thing as right or wrong, it's all just shades of gray, or that it's all just relative, is to condemn yourself to a life of failure and defeat. This nonsensical idea is based entirely on an illusory view of yourself and the world and is destructive to your overall self-evaluation which is devastating to your ability to survive, thrive, and succeed. So just ideas like this that they're implanting in your heads to disempower you, it's just completely devastating to your otherwise natural path in life. You have chosen constantly and make decisions constantly as to what to do, what to think and believe, what you want and what you don't want. You even have to choose to think all these people, oh, free will doesn't exist. You have to actually make a conscious choice just to think about that question. <laughs> so off you go then. Even your estimation of the validity of this statement is evidence of your ability to choose moment by moment what you believe and what you don't believe. You have a basic survival need to be right. Being wrong results in death. Death of happiness, or I should say meaning. Death of potential, death of all motivation and zest for life, death of the mind and death of the body. 
This does not mean you have to be omniscient and infallible. Clearly, that's impossible. What it means is that you have a basic survival need to be right, being wrong in nature, or being wrong in battle results in your death. So do you know why now they're trying to confuse the pot and they're raising your kids to not know what's up and down and nothing's real and everything's fake and birds are fake and fucking everything's fake and genders are fake and race, everything's just shades of this and that. And it's all this big, like they're doing that because they're trying to take them away from the inner anchor that is required for there to be a healthy individual because they're trying to destroy the individual in order to destroy freedom, which gets in the way of their business model. It's as simple as that. You require, oh, here's the other thing. Say this to yourself. I am capable of being right and correct. I am capable of it. It's out there. The potential exists. I am capable of being correct in my method of making my choices and my decisions in life. You require the security of knowing that the method, foundation, and the mental processes which give rise to your decisions and choices are right and reliable. Being wrong and learning from it is an invaluable opportunity for growth. So that means there is no such thing as losing as long as you show up and keep showing up and keep getting up when you get knocked down. That's a winner. The losers are the ones that walk away and just dust their hands and say, I'm done. I quit. Don't be that person. This is why the truth is always right. And this is why the truth is going to win, whether we win with it or not. Anything else is just a comfortable lie that better liars than you depend on you believing. Strive to be in the right. Strive to do things correctly. Strive to brighten your mind instead of shutting it off. Strive to live. And with that, I'm going to just quickly go to Nathaniel Branda's introduction to this book. And by the way, if you don't want to sit and read the book, go on YouTube right now. There is still an audiobook copy of this book, Six Poses of Self-Esteem, and it's actually read by the author. And he's got a great voice. So go listen to it. It's wonderful. So he says this, <clears throat> My purpose in this book is to identify in greater depth and comprehensiveness than in my previous writings the most important factors on which self-esteem depends. If self-esteem is the health of the mind, and the nutrient of consciousness, then few subjects are of comparable urgency. So he looked at this. He also saw, he probably wrote this in the 80s as well, and he also saw that there was something coming down the pike and that people were going to need this information. And that's why I've done this, and Michael and I have done this on Slave, just to bring this work back because it's one of the arrows in your quiver, if not the entire quiver, okay, holding the arrows together. Here it is. The turbulence of our times demands strong selves with a clear sense of identity, competence, and worth. With a breakdown of cultural consensus, an absence of worthy role models, little in the public arena to inspire our allegiance, and disorientingly rapid change of a permanent feature of our lives, it is a dangerous moment in history not to know who you are or not to trust yourself. The stability that we cannot find in the world, we must create within our own person. To face life with low self-esteem is to be at a severe disadvantage. So he gets into the book and what it's about, the four questions that it's based on. What is self-esteem? 
Why is self-esteem important? What can we do to raise the level of our self-esteem? And what role do others play in influencing our self-esteem? It's influenced by both internal and external factors. And, uh, and on and on he goes. He defines it, the six pillars. If you read the pillars, you understand it. It's the requirement for survival, for life, for joy, for meaning. You need, in order to reach that level of meaning that Frankl's talking about, you need this. You need to know this. And then when you've got these two nailed, okay, got those two nailed, you'll understand why we're living in the brave new world. And you'll also understand how we win, how we get out of it, what the solutions are. You'll never see the world the same way again. You'll see evil, the tyranny, and lies coming a mile away because you'll be in more resonance and communication with your true nature, the true goodness of who you really are, the true power of who you really are. If you're in communion with that, which is why I think the Christ told you that the kingdom of heaven is within you and not anywhere else. If you're in communion with that, you're in communion with what men have called God. You're in communion with that all-powerful force that is what's actually powering your body and allowing you to live and what gave you everything. It's the creative force. If you're living on that, the same force that swirls galaxies and lights up the sky and during the day and does all the amazing things in nature and regrows, you know, parts of yourself that are injured and tree branches and everything, that whole system, you're powered by the same thing. None can stand against that. That's, that's the same. That's the power of the entire universe. You have a little spark of it in you. And you're going to sit and someone's going to sit back and say, you're not going to love that. You're not going to communicate with that. You're going to sell that to these globalists and say, yeah, put me in the, put me in the transhumanist cyborg machines and install my consciousness into one of Bill Gates's computers and have me float around in the metaverse. You just sit back and look at people like, what? what? Don't sell yourself. That is literally, literally selling your soul. Literally selling your soul is to avoid that. And that's why I wanted to share it with you guys. And be, I wanted to share some of that passion I have for this guy is because it's what's missing. And I hope it brings you some inspiration in this war. I think it's going to get even more insane as we go. And I just hope that for myself, I don't lose myself in the process. I don't want you to lose yourself in the process. I don't want you to go down in this fight. I want you to keep going towards the truth and stay in the course. It, it's like you're a ship right now at sea, and that sea is this world right now. And it's tossing the ship all over the place, and it's trying to knock you off course, and you're hitting different currents, and all you're trying to do is stay true north, aim for the lighthouse, keep your eye on the prize. The storms are smashing the boats. They're knocking your sails down. They're poking holes in the bottom. You got to get down and patch those holes. At the same time, you're getting attacked by pirates. <laughs> That's the world we're in. That's the time we're in. But hold fast, hold true, stay the course, don't quit. Listen to that inner voice. It never steers you wrong. Clear out all the cobwebs. Get rid of those defeating belief systems that you have. Get rid of all that inner fear. Let the fear go. And you know what I did when I, with my fear? I did a special little thing. 
when I finally reached this moment in my life where I felt like I won that war, that inner war that was going on inside of me, and it's obviously ongoing, but it, I really made a major dent is I celebrated that moment and nobody told me to do this either. I celebrated that moment by thanking my fear. That was one of the hardest things for me because I just wanted to like, I hated my former self. I, I started erasing anything to do with my former life. I started getting rid of all the old clothes, all the old books, everything. I just got rid of everything and I wanted to restart. And then something in me just said, no man, like that fear was there for a purpose. It's what drove you to go and learn this and, and get rid of it. So it was actually a messenger. It was actually a part of this. So I did a little thing where I thanked my fear and I said, Hey, it's like a, a passenger that got in my vehicle for a while and inspired me to grow courage. And so I said, thank you. Thank you for being the best teacher in my life. I also started to do this with people that, uh, had a real negative effect on me in my life and tried to screw me over and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, abuse my trust, you know, and I thanked those people as well, not to their face. I wouldn't do that, but just for myself, I'm like, thank you because you were also a teacher. You were also a teacher. Sometimes you need to see what something is it in order to see what something is. Sometimes you need to learn about the truth by first learning about a lie, right? Like, so that's something that's helpful as well so that you don't, um, what was that old statement? They say, you know, careful when casting out your demons, you're casting out the best part of yourself. Uh, some people take that the wrong way, but I take it in, in this term, like the demons being the fears and the, and the challenges inside of you. You've probably collected a few over the past few years of all this craziness. As you're getting rid of them, don't drop an atomic nuclear bomb inside of yourself to just erase everything because you might lose necessary components that actually helped you grow stronger and evolve. So it's like the way in martial arts, if we have an adversary, you bow for respect before you engage in combat. And they would do that even when they're in a duel to the death, being like, I respect you as an enemy. I respect you as someone that's going to help me test myself. Um, there's something about that. I don't know. Take it or leave it. That's just another thing I wanted to let you know is that in the end, we're also going to have to be like, it, it might be hard and I'm not, uh, condoning evil here, but to thank the adversary and be, cause that's, they're not expecting that they're, they're like, they're just psychos. They just hate you. Like they're looking for your destruction and your utter defeat and ruin, if not your extermination. And if you sit back and take the higher road and just go as, as they're getting marched off to the gallows or Gitmo or whatever. Thanks guys. Thanks for helping us learn what the real truth is. Thanks for taking our freedom away from us so that we could learn how valuable that freedom was that we almost helped you get rid of it for us. You know what I'm saying? And the reason I'm saying that is because there's something powerful about realizing that there's a relationship between all things. There's a relationship between the tyrant and the people being ruled by the tyrant. There's a relationship between the cult leader and the cult followers. There's a relationship between the master and the slave. And um, so just all it is, is maybe not thanking them. Maybe that's the wrong word, but like recognition, respect for where it's due. And in the end, when victory is yours, and it will be, thank yourself. Thank yourself. It's getting pretty deep and misty here, guys. Thank yourself. 
Thank yourself because that's part of that self-love. Give yourself credit is all I'm saying. Don't inflate your ego to it's like as big as a, the sky, but sit back and just go, wow, I, I survived to this time. I, what did you do? What have you done during this time? What are the positive things you've done for yourself? Have you changed your diet? Have you exercised more? Have you opened up more books? Have you gone on a personal journey? Have you, have you been better with your kids? Have you um, done something? Have you written a post that maybe changed somebody's life and maybe stopped them from taking too many pills or something? You know, like give yourself credit for what you do. Don't be afraid to do it. Nobody does this. They always pass it off to everybody else. Even I do it a lot of times. And I catch myself and I go, I want to give credit where it's due. But if we're giving credit where it's due, don't forget to give yourself the credit for what you've achieved. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing evil about that. There's nothing narcissistic about that. That is actually just a key ingredient that we forgot that is essential for your mind to thrive. That you just have a basic respect for who you are. Respect your weaknesses also. I did this the other night. I was walking around and I know my weaknesses. And um, in, I used to just beat myself up over them. I used to just, oh, I'm like, you start hating yourself. You start hating the weakness. You, you see it. You can't stop seeing it. You get obsessed about the weaknesses. You forget about the strengths. And so the other night I was just outside and I started feeling that like a little bit of like, what do you call it? Like a self-criticism kind of thing coming on and I just went no I fully accept my weaknesses I fully accept them I I love all the parts of myself the good the bad the ugly the mistakes the victories the parts of myself I don't like you know we all have them you just start learning how to love even the worst parts the parts you're trying to ignore and pretend don't exist and airbrush out of your social media pictures and all that just like just accept yourself it goes a long way. And the more you love yourself, the more the enemy hates you and envies you. And I don't know, that just makes me feel good. <laughs> so uh, hope that helped, guys. I got to run. Um, I'm going to go do a guy's night out. I need to get out of the house tonight. So hope that helped out. Go read these books. And may freedom and truth reign again. Thanks, everybody. I'll catch you again soon. Cheers.